What's up, what's up, everyone? It is time for episode 31 of the NBA edition of RJ Bell's Dream Preview. I'm Joe Serralo, as always, as you may or may not be able to tell, a little under the weather this week, uh, so just bear with me. Joined, as always, by my man, Mackenzie Rivers. Mackenzie, how are you feeling today, my man? Well, today I'm all right, but at this moment, I'm feeling, I'm feeling pretty optimistic because the San Antonio Spurs, up by 20 against the Nuggets, entering the third quarter or in the beginning of the third quarter, with the Lakers' 13-point dogs tonight. Yes, the San Antonio Spurs are favored to clinch the play-in tonight. I just, lo- I just love Pop. I love what De- DeJounte Murray's doing. I'm just so ecstatic about the San Antonio Spurs finally clinching the play-in tournament. Hopefully, you know, knock on wood. But uh, yeah, because they're, you know, 80%, 90% to beat the Nuggets, although the Nuggets could come back. And because the Lakers are, or the Suns are 80% to win, then those two things happening at both the same time would end the LA Lakers season. Man, it really is remarkable. I mean, you know, we talk about it all the times, right? The uh, the Brooklyn Nets and the LA Lakers, the two title favorites coming into the season. You've got the Nets pretty much locked into the 7-10 to play-in round. And then you've got the Lakers. I, I mean, you can't even say probably at this point. The Lakers are going to miss the playoffs altogether. It's wild. LeBron James out versus Phoenix tonight. I mean, I'm sorry. There's no chance the Lakers win that game. There's there's just zero chance. And for all uh, of all teams, for all the coaches to replace them, there's no one you want more than Popovich. I I mean, what this guy does with the limited roster he's had since his guys got older and eventually retired, you know, uh, I mean, look, he's probably not going to make it out of the playing tournament, not going to have a winning record. It's still remarkable. When you look at San Antonio's roster, I don't know any other coaches who could get that much out of that crew? You want to bet uh, twenty to one that the the Lakers don't beat the Suns tonight? I think that I think they got a chance. I think they got about a what do the odds say? About an eighteen percent chance. I think they have an eighteen percent chance. Yeah, I think there's a I think there's a zero percent chance of that one happening. All right, then then give me. Oh, I guess we can't bet against uh, cross state state lines because I was saying. I mean, if you think there's a zero percent chance, then you would love to give me twenty to one. On the Lakers. I mean, you know, we, we have Venmo, we have Zell. You know, it's uh yeah, but it's a but I'm I'm, t- I'm telling you, sir, it's it's illegal. And the fact that you just offered that, I mean, I might have to end this communication. Oh, okay. uh, whoever's listening out there, he was he doesn't know he's he's younger. Um, uh, we would never ever even offer the or solicit or even think about cross state lines uh, uh, wagering because you know we have more respect for this land. Uh, for the mountains of majesty <laughs> and uh, for all, all the great forefathers that uh, uh, gave us this opportunity to gamble legally and responsibly. Oh my God, that, that was some PSA. I really enjoyed that. Hey, let, let's talk Lakers though. With Frank Vogel on the, you can't even call it the, the hot seat. I, I mean, Frank Vogel sitting on top of a volcano right now. He is, you know, coming off a championship two years ago. Seems like he's a shoe in sure thing to be out as Lakers coach by the end of the year. Mackenzie, there are no formal odds out yet, but who would you say the favorite should be, or at least who's your pick to be the next coach of the Lakers? Well, there was two candidates floated today in the uh, Mark Stein reported and Bleacher Report, and I always thought Bleacher Report was like some sort of fan site, so I kept looking for the link that they were that they were um, aggregating. But no, this actually Bleacher Reporter writer. Let me get his name. Bleacher Reporter writer Jake Fisher had this sources telling him that. Yeah, Vogel's out. He's expected out. Furthermore, Quinn Snyder of the Utah Jazz, number one seed last year, monster favorites up, you know, against the Jet, against the Clippers early. They were up 2-0 in that series, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. 
and disappointing this season, but it seems to be like an internal strife with Mitchell, Donovan Mitchell, and Rudy Gobert, uh, kind of mincing words or not mincing words in the media. So it's either him or Doc Rivers was an interesting name floated out. Uh, Dr. Guru, uh, fascinating Twitter follower, 64,000 Twitter followers. And I'm pretty sure he just, uh, you know, hangs out and watches the NBA and probably like drives a UPS truck or something. But uh, interesting Twitter follower. And he's always seems to be has his hand on the pulse of what uh, different fan bases are feeling. And he says, yeah, we want Doc Rivers in L.A. I don't know. I don't know why he would leave Philly. I'm not sure why he would want to want to come back to L.A. with all that history there. Uh, Quinn Snyder makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, he he turned a, you know, since Jerry Sloan, Utah Jazz were a pretty irrelevant situation, and and he made it with, uh, you know, homegrown talent. So either of those options make sense to me. I just don't get it from Doc Rivers' perspective. I have you know plenty of talent in Philly, and you know they just got Harden a few weeks ago. It seems like, and Embiid is in the prime of his career. So uh, if I had to bet, I would bet it would be Quinn Snyder. You know, I'm like you. I'm out on Doc Rivers as coach of the Lakers. I I don't think he was a bad coach with the Clippers, but, you know, people do associate Doc Rivers with underachieving in Los Angeles. So to go to the Lakers, where they've underachieved in, what, three of the past four seasons, most of the past decade, why put yourself in a position to be associated with underachieving in Los Angeles again? Like you said, he's got a good thing in Philly, got Embiid, got Harden, just got Harden. You know, ride it out this postseason, ride it out next year, see where things go. The Eastern Conference is wide open. Not not that the West isn't. I mean, you have the Suns, and then, you know, anyone next year could be the two seed right after Phoenix. But I, I think the Eastern Conference is more wide open. I, I think, you know, you have to do less to get the one seed in the East. So Doc should stay in Philly, in my opinion. Now, I actually don't like the Quinn Snyder Los Angeles fit. I mean, look, there's no doubt that Quinn Snyder probably wants to get the hell out of Utah. Donovan Mitchell is probably going to get the hell out of Utah. I mean, don't be shocked if the once, you know, three or four seeded Utah Jazz suddenly end up in that play-in tournament. I mean, there's a legitimate, realistic chance Minnesota can jump them, get the sixth seed, and Utah will be seventh. Now, look, they're going to make the playoffs. They're not going to lose two in a row to, you know, the Clippers and then, you know, who, who, whoever it be, the, uh, the Spurs or the Pelicans, that's not going to happen. But the Jazz can slip to the seventh or the eighth seed. I think Quinn wants out. I think Donovan Mitchell is done there. Uh, I think, you know, Rudy Gobert might be the last guy standing. He might look like Will Smith in the last episode of Fresh Prince alone in the living room. Uh, Utah is not trending in the right direction. So while Quinn Snyder probably wants out, I just don't think Los Angeles is the right spot. If he can't handle the egos of Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, I don't know. You know, I love LeBron James. You know this. Everyone knows this. He's got an ego. And I don't know how Quinn can handle the ego that LeBron brings, that Anthony Davis brings, that, you know, Russell Westbrook might bring if he's still there next year. The second shit hits the fan like it did this season, I don't know if Quinn Snyder would have or could have done a better job this year than Frank Vogel. I'm not sold. I think the Lakers need a player's coach. Now, it's not to say Quinn is not a player's coach, but I think the Lakers need a guy who, unlike Vogel, is a little more mellow can take a bit of a backseat, can work with the guys he has to work with. You know, the Malik Monks, the younger guys on the team can be a great mentor and coach to them, but can let LeBron, AD, Russ, can let those guys do their thing. And I think it's a first-time head coach. I think it's Sam Castle, a Doc Rivers assistant, not just right now in Philly, 
But for years, going back to his Clippers days, Sam Castle has always been Doc's right-hand guy. And he draws a lot of comparisons to LeBron's guy, Ty Lue. And, you know, I think LeBron would love Ty Lue. I don't think Ty Lue is going to make the jump from the Clippers to the Lakers. But if you can get the next best thing, the next closest thing, a guy like Sam Castle who played in the league, who understands what it's like. You know, Frank Vogel's a really good coach, but he was really good on teams that didn't have, you know, necessarily superstars like the Lakers do right now. Sam Castle gets it a little more than Frank Vogel. Not to knock Vogel, I like Vogel more than most, but Sam Castle, I think, would be a better fit for this team with LeBron, with AD, with Russ, than Vogel, than any of the other guys. Another name, by the way, that I love, Kenny Atkinson. Uh, I think he was wrongfully ousted from Brooklyn a couple of years ago when that happened. He took a team that had probably a 30-win roster, won 42 games, got to the playoffs first time in five years. I love Kenny Atkinson. Again, though, he's another guy. Might be great for the youngsters, but I don't know how he'd jive with the egos. I think Sam Castle can both work with the youngsters and let, let the big guys, let the stars do their thing. I think Sam Castle's the guy. I'm pretty sure it's Sam Cassell, and, and you said Sam Castle a few times. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, Sam Cassell won a championship with the Rockets uh, as a second-year player, as a rookie even. Uh, he was split in time with Kenny the Jet Smith, but he's more known, he's more famous for inventing the Big Balls dance, the dance that was featured in Major League. Or I guess he didn't invent it since it was in Major League, but he definitely popularized it in uh, modern North American sports. Uh, LeBron James was getting heat from Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, of all people, for doing the big ball dance uh, against the Sacramento Kings, I believe. So if you don't know, I guess, I mean, history beckons, and I, and I have to, you, you uh, hold your, your arms in a, in a, in a basket-type type shape after hitting a big shot and swing your arms left to right to, uh, to illustrate that uh, you, ain't, you, ain't, you ain't scared, you ain't scared, you ready. And uh, that's what it means, and Sam Cassell would be a great option for the Lakers, because like you said, uh, LeBron James is the GM, as Tony Kornheiser likes to say. Uh, LeBron James is the best player in the world, as uh, a lot of talking heads like to say. And LeBron James is most definitely the force in Los Angeles, as Colin Cowherd astutely points out from time to time. So yeah, you're you're, you're getting um you're getting a, a, a team captain, uh, a rah rah guy. I mean, he's not exactly going to be an equipment manager, but uh, a first time head coach that is beloved by players because he was a player uh, makes sense to me in LA. Yeah. And you know, it could be worse. I could have said Matt Cassell was the quarterback for the new England Patriots 10 years ago. So, uh, you know, I'll take... <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. I know. Let, let's get on to a couple games that we've got. We've got the Boston Celtics at the Milwaukee Bucks Thursday night, the Celtics about to embark on a back-to-back -back, and the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, I'll take my quick moment because I mentioned that all-star break bet pretty much every episode. It cashes tonight. I put out a poll on uh, on Twitter about a week ago, and it wasn't a serious poll. I think some people thought it was serious and were asking me if I was nuts. I was offered a cash out. Uh, my bet was 55 to win 50, or rather 50 to win 55. I was plus 110 on the Bucks at the All-Star break to win the division. They were three games out back then. DraftKings was offering me a $102 cash out a week ago out of the 105. I posted that saying, what do I do? Mackenzie, the amount of people who thought I was serious, who called me a lot of names that day, <laughs> it was pretty shocking. Uh, I mean, it was obviously a joke. Obviously, if something like that ever happens, the $3 aren't worth it. Cash the hell out. You never know what's going to happen. However, 
because I'm an egomaniac, I did let it ride. And tonight it cashed out. I got my got my 105. I got my extra pack of chewing gum out of it. So the Bucks have won the division. Their next game is going to be Thursday oh, wait. night. I thought you were going to say the opposite. I thought you were going to say it was a joke because obviously you don't cash out. I mean, those $3 is like tipping the the um, the teller at, at the ticket window. There's no chance that was going to lose. I mean, if it was going to lose, you could like probably money line parlay the Bulls every game against the Bucks losing every game and make more money that way with your $3. So I, I think you should let it ride. I think you made the right decision. Well, that, that's what I did. People were telling me I was absolutely crazy for letting it ride. I mean, at the point that they offered it, the Bucks would have had to go 2-5, and five, and the Bulls would have had to go 6-0 and oh to close out the season for it not to work. Um, but yeah, I let it ride, you know, for shits and giggles for my ego. And uh, tonight, against the Bulls, the Bucks win. They cash out for me. But their next game, Thursday, they host the Celtics. And Mackenzie, what are we projecting here? We, we've got Bucks minus five. Is that the official pregame projection? Yes, and I'm I'm uh I'm cognizant of the fact that I've been high on the Celtics for mu- for much of the season, and the Bucks at home tend to get a juicy number. Uh, team rankings came out with their projection early with Bucks minus seven. I wouldn't be surprised if it, if it's closer to their number or probably somewhere in the middle. Boston, by the way, I mean that. Let's th- let's take it back and, and slow down. Bucks are, you know, two and a half point home court advantage does get rowdy in Wisconsin, maybe three. So why is it six? Well, for one thing, the Celtics are going to be off a back to back against Chicago tomorrow being Wednesday. So that's a two point disadvantage going, having to rally back and go on the road. And yeah, I think currently the Bucks are about a point, maybe a point and a half better. So that's why I think it, it goes into that six, seven range with all those factors considered. Yeah, now the uh, the back-to-back thing really hasn't phased Boston all that much this season. You know, they're a little beneath where they uh, normally are on the road. They're a really good road-covering team, 60% of the time on the road, fifth best in basketball. On the back end of a back-to-back, they're 6-7 and seven against the spread. So a little under 50%. Um, not terrible for a team on, on the back end of a back-to-back, you know, to go about 50%. Bucks, on the other hand, you look at them with one day off exactly. They cover 54% of the time. With a rest advantage, 52% of the time. So it's not like there's a glaring, you know, jump off the page stat that, you know, oh, well, when the Bucks have a rest advantage, they're 80%. You know, it, it's all about even. If anything, the Celtics on the road being a 60% covered team, that's the uh, that's the biggest edge in this game. But when you look at how these two teams have squared off against each other this season, Celtics, 2-1 head-to-head, 3-0 against the spread, and all covers have come pretty easily it makes you wonder, you know, if the Celtics are getting points, does that make them the play? Given very different teams, obviously it's been, you know, the last time these guys played was on Christmas. So it's been over three months since they've seen each other. So I don't know how much those three early season matchups can play a role in how you're feeling about this game. But McKenzie, how are you feeling about this game? Two of the best teams in the East playing right now. Milwaukee's, what a dominant performance against Chicago, a team that you know, they've owned over the years, but 21 on the road and Giannis scored 18 points. He only shot the ball 13 times. So, you know, big thumbs up arrow off of that performance. Of course, I went in on the Celtics right after the Robert Williams injury on this podcast with the heat. That was a loser. Ouch. Uh, That was also a three-star play for my premium clients. It's not one I like to remember, but so four games since Robert Williams has been out and the Celtics defense hasn't been that impressive. They obviously lost to the Heat. That was the best bet here on this podcast. Ouch. 
And then they put up, they gave up 123 to the Pacers. They won, but 123 points. So I question if their defense is, is not taking a step back without Robert Williams. The numbers throughout the season, he's been a big plus guy on the court. So the Bucks, I mean, obviously they're an offensive juggernaut. He's the guy that would be standing in the way. I notice I did not say stopping, but standing in the way somewhat against Giannis Antetokounmpo, who's clearly playing the best basketball in the league down the stretch, just destroyed Chicago tonight without even scoring. Just that team is is on a mission right now, and Giannis is playing as well as anybody. So yeah, I'd be uh, I'd be looking towards the Bucks. I think the Celtics have been playing you know pretty well offensively but i'm worried about them defensively another thing about this game is these two teams are tied for second and third in the east so let's think about this let's play this out a little bit right now the bulls are pretty locked in and they've been slipping they've been losing consistently you know they just lost uh the division tonight and they had a big lead entering the coming out of the all-star break They're six and a half games back. They can't really catch the Raptors. I mean, they could, but I don't think it's going to happen. And they can't really fall all the way back to the Cavs. So getting three means playing the Bulls. Not not terrible. Not terrible. Getting two, playing the Cavs potentially, or potentially playing the Nets. Oh, no, the Nets. Can the Nets get the seventh seed? Yeah, they could get the eight, and then they would have to beat the Cavs. Yeah, so getting two is precarious. Getting three, I'm I'm more comfortable. That said, you know these are competitors. Like you said, this was this is a two and one series. The Christmas Day game was an epic collapse for the Celtics. Uh, ended up covering, but not winning, despite being up by twenty for much of the first half that Christmas Day game. So I think I think you get a you get an up and down game, but I don't think either team really is hurt by by a loss here at all. No, you know, look, it's easy for us as analysts to say, well, you know, if you look at it, it's probably beneficial to lose. Maybe the Bucs should rest Giannis. Maybe the Celtics should rest Tatum. The thing is, at the end of the day, when you're dealing with athletes, when you're dealing with competitors, that's never the case, right? How many times, McKenzie, do pundits look at, you know, week 16, week 17 of a football uh, schedule and say, oh, it's time to tank. You know, your, your team's 2-13. and 13. You got to lose the last game. Otherwise, you don't get the first pick. These guys don't want to lose. These guys don't ever want to lose, right? You don't want to lose momentum going into the playoffs. And these guys have way too much pride, way too much ego, not in a bad sense, in a good sense, to allow themselves to purposely lose because they're watching the standings, right? It's not happening. Would it probably be better to have the three seed in the Eastern Conference right now? Absolutely. Yeah, it definitely would. I mean, look, I would take playing Cleveland, but I'd much rather, you know, play whether it's the Cavs or the Bulls. I'd rather know I'm playing the Bulls, then run the risk of playing the Nets. But at the end of the day, both of these teams are going all out Thursday night. The Celtics might have an excuse to slip to the three seed because it will be the second leg of a back-to-back. They might rest guys on that accord. Milwaukee's not resting anyone. I think the only play here is Milwaukee. If you can get it, giving five, take it. Uh, if it goes up to seven, seven and a half, I'm more inclined to stay away at that point. But Milwaukee minus five, I do lean that way. I would agree. I also think the over in this game, I think, uh, like I said, Robert Williams has really been a big absence for the Celtics. And I think, you know, this is a game you get a, you get a bunch of points, you get some bragging rights uh, heading into the playoffs. Absolutely. Absolutely. We've got one more game. Speaking of bragging rights, it'll do nothing for the standings, at least for the home team. It won't. But the Nets, of course, fighting for that, you know, eight to 10 seed spot. The Nets at the Knicks. Wednesday night, Madison Square Garden. Kyrie's first game against the Knicks this season. And McKenzie, this one's looking like it could open up with the Nets as nine, nine and a half point favorites. Yeah, we were going back and forth because you asked me about power ratings projections. And 
I have the Knicks, you know, several points better than I did a couple of weeks ago. I have the Nets, you know, kind of where they've been at. And I have this game at, at six in Madison Square Garden. Now, I don't give the Knicks any home court advantage uh, because they both live in the same city. They, they both have been to those venues plenty of times. I don't think there is that much of a home court advantage, if any. I do give the Nets negative two points for being on the second night of a back-to-back, having to wheel around and play. And still, I only get to uh, I only get to Nets minus six, but we waited for uh, some odds to come out, and it, it came closer to what the Game Center had predicted, which was nine and a half. I'm seeing right now uh, nine on CBS Sports. I think that's I think that's too high. I think the Nets uh, need the game surely, but I don't think the Knicks are giving anything away. And the Nets, I mean, they've disappointed even with Kevin Durant back. Big losses. Uh, against the Hawks. I mean, we talked about that Bucks game. They were clearly in it, clearly could have won it. One thing is, for a second, for a split second, uh, yesterday, or was it was it Sunday night, uh, I sent an email about this, the Nets had a 49% NBA 538-ing to make the playoffs, NBA 538 rating or percentage projection to make the playoffs. And I've been tracking this. I go to this, once, this website, you know, once a day or five times a week, and it has been Clearly above 50%, but for a second, it was 49%. And then I checked back in the morning, and it was 51%. I guess they redid their numbers, and Kevin Durant sent an email or something. But now, they got a huge win. They got a big win over the Houston Rockets. They didn't even cover. They didn't come close to covering. They didn't cover by eight. But they got a win against the Rockets, and probably more importantly to them, the Hawks lost. So that puts them at two-thirds chance of making the playoffs. Still a ridiculous predicament, considering that these were the clear and away title favorites for much of the early part of this season. Also ridiculous considering there's a chance that, you know, 67%, two thirds chance that they make the playoffs. That might be too high. If the Nets slip to the nine or 10 seed, which is very realistic right now, they're tied for eighth with Atlanta and Atlanta has been playing their best basketball of the season. If the Nets slip, you're in a position where you have to win two games. You can't go one and one. You can't go, you know, one and no oh in the first game and be on your way. If the Nets go to nine or 10, You've got to win two in a row, and you know that ha- that has not been a lock. This is a team that's been playing 500 basketball this year. It's not a guarantee to ask them to win two in a row. So, you know, two thirds might be a little high there. If if they get the eight seed, yes, they're probably going to make the playoffs. But if they get the nine or ten, all it takes is one bad game, one slip up, one bad quarter of basketball, and all of a sudden the Nets and Lakers both missing the uh, final cut of 16. But let's look at this game. The Brooklyn Nets have not covered in five straight games, just two and three after this Rockets game, straight up in their last five, 0 and 5 against the number. Now, on the last leg of a back to back, the Nets have covered just 25% of the time this season. That is 29th in the NBA. After a win, which, you know, even though they didn't cover, they did beat the Rockets. After a win, the Nets have covered just 35% of the time this season. That is also 29th in the NBA. And with the rest disadvantage, the Nets have covered just 37% of the time this season. That is a little better, 28th among 30 in the NBA. Now, their 32% cover clip as a favorite is by far the worst in the league. But they actually cover 56% of the time on the road, 54% of the time as a road favorite. Now, again, I don't know how much home and road splits mean to you in this one, McKenzie. Of course, There's no travel aspect or travel element. Uh, But I will say the one point that I disagree with you on, even though the Knicks have been awful at home this year, absolutely dreadful at MSG, 
both straight up and against the spread. No matter where they play, MSG or Barclays, it's a Knicks home game. That I I, I do want to make clear that the Nets do not have any home court against the Knicks in New York. So you're, say, you're saying the Knicks have a home court. Like there's the Knicks fans are going to be at either arena, but it's a stronger effect at MSG. Well, I'm saying that whenever these two teams play, it doesn't matter who the home team is. There's the Knicks fans outnumber the Nets fans. Gotcha. Um, I just the Knicks have been so bad at Madison Square Garden this year. I don't think that the fan base part of the home court uh, home court impact. I don't think that matters at all just because the Knicks have been dreadful at MSG. But, you know, it doesn't matter if they're at MSG or if they're at Barclays. The Knicks fans outnumber Nets fans in in both arenas. It's just, you know, it's a shame because you got KD and Kyrie over there. But New York, I could tell you firsthand, is just not a Nets town, not even close, despite the Knicks being awful for decades. Now, the Knicks, when they have two to three days off, cover 65% of the time. It's a top five mark in the NBA. And when they have a rest advantage, they cover 60% of the time. So that's all for you all to keep in mind, right? Nets, last leg of a back-to-back, they're awful. After a win, they're awful. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, as a favorite, they're awful. And then the Knicks, with the rest advantage, with the two to three days off, really, really good. Top five to top 10 in both those categories. Here's the clincher for me. Here's why Knicks plus nine and a half is my best bet. Up to plus eight and a half. The Nets have won six in a row in this series and 10 of the past 12. None of those wins have been by more than 10 points. Look, I know that the Knicks have been eliminated from the playoffs, from the play-in. I know that Jules Randle has been shut down, and he's probably played his final game as a Nick. I know that the Knicks have had an identity crisis at point guard, but R.J. Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, and O.B. Toppin, them and the rest of the young guns on this team have been playing incredible, hard, tough basketball lately. They haven't been perfect. There's been games where they're great for three quarters and they kind of give out at the end. They run out of gas. But the youngsters on this squad have given everything that they have to the Knicks games the past, I'd say, month since the season really looked bleak, since the outlook was apparent. Since March 3rd, this team is 10-7 and straight up. They are 11-6 and against the spread. And the Nets are on a back-to-back. So I'll take the Knicks plus 9.5, my best bet. I agree with you. I just don't get how you can say the Nets are 11 points better than the Knicks. And that's, I think that it's being generous to only have to give that because I'm saying there's no home court advantage. I'm giving two points away off the bat, but I'm saying, okay, Nets are on a two, on a, on a back to back historically, not through the Nets season, not through a few games. These algorithms build in thousands of games back to back. So they affect teams by about two points. I, I wouldn't say it's going to be any more or less here. So, okay, two points. That means nine has got to become 11. I have the Nets five points better than the average team. I've, you know, kept faith in them throughout their very disappointing season. Uh, I have them, you know, as one of the top teams in the league when healthy, even without Ben Simmons, who, by the way, Nash, Steve Nash says is not going to play till at least the play-in, and that seems pretty unlikely at this point, definitely out for the regular season. And then you have the Knicks who have, you know, Playoff team last year, you look at their net rating, it's about zero on the season. It's just not a team that I think you can say is, you know, one of the worst in the league uh, to justify this line. So you had agreement from me. I love it. I love it. McKenzie, that just leaves us with one thing, man. What's your best bet? We talked about the Celtics and we talked about the Bulls, the Bucks being involved with both of them, you know, being their opponent on Thursday and being uh, their nemesis 
tonight as we record this podcast on Tuesday. In, t- in my opinion, the Bucks ended the Bulls season tonight with their 127-106 victory, which clinched the division, obviously. But more than that, especially with the news, Shams reporting that Lonzo Ball is not only out six to eight weeks, which was the initial estimate, but won't come back for the regular season. I think the Bulls are are just done. And you look at where they are in the standings. They can't really catch the Raptors. They're not going to fall back to the Cavs. They're going to be uh they're going to win a game, maybe two in the playoffs, and then they're going to retool for next year. And this season's going to be about how great DeMar DeRozan has been. And he has been fantastic. He obviously made the right decision in free agency to go to Chicago, but that doesn't make this team necessarily any any hot shakes. I mean, you look at the last 30 days, bottom four on offense, bottom 10 on defense. The Celtics are top five in every category. Because of the bad news with Lonzo Ball, coming off a seat, I mean, R.J. Bell kind of invented or pioneered this concept, but it's been true in many sports. We see this, the dream crusher game. They're not, not only are they not going to win the division, they're not going to compete for the division. The division's over a week out. Giannis could rest starting today. And they're not going to even compete. Most of the season, they thought, okay, we are now arrived. We are going to be, you know, every rung of the ladder, they've fallen down and they have not gotten up. Oh, are are we going to compete for a number one seed? No. Are we going to compete for a top five seed? No. Are we going to win a playoff series? I think the writing is on the wall. They're not going to. I talked about the Celtics problem on defense without Robert Williams. I don't think that's going to be much of a problem because, the Celtic style of defense is they leave one hole and they switch everything and you're going to need an elite point guard to be able to take advantage of those switches. The Bulls have no point guard. Alex Caruso 0 for 6 tonight. Kobe White coming off the bench had to play 30 minutes. He's not going to be able to score 40 points. And then if you look at DeRozan, he's going to have you know the time, the diff- most difficult time you can imagine with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum fully rested. Uh, you know, it's just going to be two against one all night. I see one-way traffic. Boston, uh, I haven't said the number yet, but with the back-to-back, I think this is going to be minus four and a half, but still very bettable. Uh, so Boston minus four and a half is my best bet. Mackenzie, I-, I love it. And here's the big thing for me. It's it's like when you look at the Celtics, you know, until Robert Williams is back, you have to evaluate every Celtics game and say, all right, on defense, Will they be able to stop this team's best guy or second best guy without Robert Williams? And when you're playing a team like the Bulls, a team that doesn't play defense, you mentioned a bottom 10 defensive rank uh, rating in the past 30 days. Robert Williams's absence means way less, astronomically less against the Bulls than it means against the Bucks because the Bulls are a team that's, they don't play much defense themselves. It's just going to be a slugfest. They're just going to try to outshoot you. And the Celtics, like you said, like they've done in recent games, they can win by outscoring you at the end of the day. So Robert Williams, I think his absence kills them against Milwaukee. It's why my lean is Bucks minus five, if that's the line you get in that game. But I, I think without him, the Celtics can still beat the Bulls, no problem. I, I think minus four and a half is is a fairly generous line. You know, it's the front end of a back-to-back. So take that, you know, second leg out of the equation and all that. I, I think the Celtics coming in fresh to Chicago. I love it, man. And Chicago being on their second night of a back-to-back, both at home, which you know some might mitigate it, but I just think emotionally it's not going to mitigate it. It's not going to be a fun locker room after losing by 21 to your blood rival, or you can't even call them a blood rival because you haven't been on their level for you know half a decade. Oh, and four this year. Yep. 
ended their season, and I think it continues with a uh, with a with a Celtics clear and decisive win. Man, they had a seven game swing. The Bulls were three games up at the All Star break. We're talking like six weeks ago. Bulls were three games up on Milwaukee in the division standings. Now four games back as the Bucks clinch. That's hard to do to give up seven games of standing ground in five six weeks. That's really bad. Really hard to do. The Bulls are exactly who I thought they were, man. I, I went on another podcast uh, preseason, and these hosts absolutely loved the Bulls. I said, guys, they're not contenders. They're pretenders. And we got into this huge debate. It, it was really, it was, it was fun radio. It was great radio, but that, that's what the Bulls are. They're pretenders. They had everyone hooked first half of the season. My God, these guys can score with the best of them. All of a sudden, they lose the one starter who played any semblance of, de- of defense in Lonzo Ball. And Lonzo should not be this important to a team. They fell apart without Lonzo. He, I mean, he's their fourth best player. He should not be this important to a team. The Bulls, they're absolute frauds, absolute pretenders. Love the Celtics' best bet against the McKenzie. Love my Knicks' best bet against the Nets, plus nine and a half, even down to plus eight and a half. Guys, go make some money this week.